Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. And welcome to today's podcast. This is Sheriff Todd Baxter, Monroe County Sheriff in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, again, trying to share with you what's behind the badge of the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Uh, who our people are, who works for us, the uh, great jobs, noble, heroic work they do as a living. And then also we, we bring in guests to, to try and share what we're doing either with lo- other local government officials or, or people that support us. And uh, Dr. Cedric Alexander, how are you, sir? How are you doing, my friend? How are you, Sheriff? I'm doing good. I, I'm assuming you're good. in Pensacola right now? I'm in Pensacola, yes, sir. Can you just describe for us the weather right now? Will you please just drove it in? <laughs> you sure you want me to? No, no that's all right. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> no, sir. Hey, we got this thing today called Sunshine Shining in Rochester, New York, so we'll yeah, take we that. Yeah, we got sun, and <laughs> yeah. it's about 60. It's it's cold here today. It's 60. Oh, you poor soul. You poor soul. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 60, man. We're not used to this. Hey, uh, we're going to talk. You know, we're going to talk some deep conversations today, and I so appreciate you spending some time. But just a little bit about your resume. You know, uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to share your your doctorate of psychology here in Rochester, New York. Your uh, former director of this, a chief of police of that, uh, a commissioner of, of it. Just goes on and on. And your resume is quite incredible. Uh, so maybe you could just share a little bit about yourself, so people that may not know you uh, from outside of Rochester could get a little bit of your history. Yeah, well, no, thank you, and thank you for having having me on with uh, you guys today, Sheriff. And uh, so I'm from Pensacola, Florida. I'm retired. I'm back home now. Good. And uh, my career started uh, many years ago in the late 70s in Tallahassee, Florida, as a young sheriff's deputy, and then on to Orlando, Florida. Subsequently, I spent a number of years in Miami policing up until about 1992 and decided I wanted to do something different and ended up going back to school and and training there at the University of Rochester, having got my doctorate in Ohio, but came to Rochester to train in 97 uh, as a clinical psychologist there at the University of Rochester Medical Center. In addition to that, after my training, after I completed my training, I ended up staying in the community. Uh, Unknowing to me, it just kind of turned out that way became friends with Bill Johnson, having practiced psychology for about five years there. Ended up getting recruited into Rochester Police Department uh, by Bill Johnson as a deputy chief uh, back in 2002, and subsequently became chief for some part, short period of time, moved on from that at Albany, and worked in the Bataki administration as uh, deputy commissioner in the department of in the Department of Criminal Justice. I'm not sure if that's the correct title. Yeah, Criminal Justice Services, yep. Criminal Justice Service, yeah, our deputy commissioner there. And then on from there to Dallas, where I ran Homeland uh, Security Operation there at the sixth largest airport in the world, Mm -hmm. Dallas-Fort Worth, had about 2,500 employees under my command, and decided I wanted a chief again, and ended up in DeKalb County, a huge metropolitan next-door suburb there of Atlanta, Spent four years there and then got invited by uh, the mayor to 
come to Rochester for a couple of years and spent a couple of years there as deputy mayor and did it. Started, it's time for me to retire and come home. So I've been home. <laughs> You've been home. So Pensacola. now uh, I'm home in Pensacola. Yeah. Uh, here with my mom, who's who's up in age. And of course, uh, I do a lot of consulting, have been, particularly during this pandemic, been doing a lot of consulting uh, on Zoom, a lot of agencies across the country. Of course, you know, 2020 was uh, a yeah. pretty notable year, yes, particularly sir. around police and community. And I've spent a lot of time there. That's kind of where I live now, in that zone, in that space, writing and talking about transformation as it relates to policing and how we advance it as we continue to move into the 21st century. So that's pretty much uh, a lot of what I do. I still get contacted, still do a lot of consulting or a lot of a lot of response to a lot of these issues via Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. And of course, write a number of uh, op-eds, CNN and yeah. uh, USA, USA Today, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm retired, but not yeah. really retired. I don't think you you'll ever I mean? be actually retired yeah. knowing your personality. Yeah, so I'm thinking uh, we missed one very vital thing in your resume too. Is part of the task force for President Obama's task force on the 21st century in policing. I thought that was yeah, you know, yeah, and uh, that was a historic document. Absolutely, that, you know that still provides uh, a great deal of uh, leadership for agencies that still continue to utilize that document. Yep, yep. Uh, to help to help give us a roadmap in terms of building those relationships. So uh, I've had a quite. Uh, blessed, wonderful career and had an opportunity to meet a lot of wonderful people along the way, like yourself, Sheriff, and many others. It's a blessing. Uh, blessing. Who, yeah, you know, and it's certainly has been a blessing to me, and I say that very humbly. Yeah, I know of all the titles I can call you, and, and we'll call you today Doc, because that's the one I, I, I prefer because of, of who you are as a person. That's the, But uh, calling you a friend is, is probably the most important one. So we do appreciate you. We appreciate you here in Rochester. We appreciate your guidance. Um, we appreciate your, your history. And, uh, and like I said, I, I never stop phoning a friend when it calls the, when it comes to Doc Alexander. I don't know, I don't know why you keep on answering, but I keep on calling. You know, people may not know, I took over a corrupt police department uh, years ago. A police department was in transition out of corruption, right? Yeah. In a small suburb here in Rochester, a hundred man police department. And I think Doc was the number one call, uh, sometimes multiple times, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. All right, I got this. What would yeah. you do with it? Yeah. You know, that's what friends are yeah. for. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's how for. we make, that's, that's how right. we make ourselves that's better, right. right? We're not, we're not shy about saying we're not the best. At that's something. right. That's right. um, you know, so I'll, I'll just start this out. You know, if, if 2005, personally disturbed response team, EDPRT, you know, is a brainchild of yours. Uh, I know Sergeant Eric Weaver put the, his life and soul into it. Uh, how relevant is that today? I mean, so we know the experience we're going through here uh, across America, let alone here in Monroe County. Uh, you know, that, that style of policing, that, that style of having trained police officers, uh, especially equipped to handle these emotionally disturbed calls that were going on, uh, is that is it gotten more relevant or less relevant? And, and now we're offloading some of these calls, obviously, to, you know, talk to other people that are not law enforcement. Uh, what, what's yeah, your thoughts well, on that when you yeah, when you reflect yeah. back 2005? Because that was innovative back then. That was that was yeah. cutting edge stuff. People were copying it all over the country. Right. And uh, well, here's the thing. Mental health is not us and police answering mental health calls is not new to policing it's been going on for a long time yeah. but of course how we approached it and how we treated it was never the best mm -hmm. for those who may have been struggling with some mental health uh, crisis in the moment and a lot of times in many of those situations they would end up going south let me give you an example if we go back to rochester 2005 i being a psychologist worked with 
a number of uh, uh, mental health organizations across the city and the county, along with the University of Rochester Department of Psychiatry. And we put together a, uh, a team of officers that the University of Rochester helped train for us under Dr. Kamen, who's a psychiatrist there. And they had 40 to 80 hours of psychological training around how to approach individuals with mental, who are in mental health crisis. And more importantly, we had partnerships now with a lot of your uh, mental health facilities, as opposed to bringing people to your jail, right. uh, Sheriff, we got them the treatment they needed Diverted, first. Absolutely, diversion, and if right? They commit, right. And if they committed a crime, then they were subsequently arrested for that. But what frequently happens too often, and I think you will attest to that, is that across this country, arrests are being made for of people who are struggling with a mental illness, who end up in an altercation with the police. One, because police are really not trained to 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 engage that population, uh, and number two, it always end up going south, and then there's charges that are placed on those uh, who are in some type of crisis, oftentimes, and then we cart them off to jail. Right. And your jail probably have more people that have mental health conditions than than you could ever imagine. In fact, in fact, the most recent literature suggests fifty per six, fifty uh, to sixty, if not higher. So, Doc, we did a point in time survey uh, two years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sixty six percent of the people in the Monroe County Jail had a, a mental health transport or a diagnosis. Two thirds, two thirds. Think about that number. It's an right. incredible number. Yeah. So that does exist. So. It's uh, you know, it's a tough situation for anyone, for 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 everyone. You know, so we're we're looking at the you know whether how relevant and how much training does a police officer need if, if we can offboard some of these calls even at the triage point. You know, whether it's a nine one one or a two one one call and create those systems, but we're always going to have to go to some type of call that has emotionally disturbed people in it. And and I think the more training we can do. Uh, recognizing those issues, but uh, you know the better, and and that's what we're trying to do here in Monroe County. But one of the most fascinating things about your EDPRT program, and I thought is essential, and I think we're still dropping the ball here in, in just our community, is the long term care. So someone was in crisis, someone had to respond, and if it's a nine one one call or not. Uh, but what do we do with these folks two years, you know, two days, two weeks, two years from now? Uh, because there's, you know, was we're not designed to fix that problem, and obviously Monroe County Jail is not designed to fix that problem. Uh, I thought that was the most innovative part of your whole program where it was long-term solutions and working with people just beyond that 911 call yeah you know that's a loaded statement and question but you know but here's what's going to have to happen sheriff uh, we're going to have to figure out what it is that we want police to do right uh do we want them to be everything to everybody or do we want to get back get them back to their original function and that's the prevention of crime mm-hmm. right right uh, because what we've asked over the last 30, 40 years, 40 years, actually, we've asked police to do everything. Police, quite frankly, shouldn't be going to calls where there's a barking dog. That's a code enforcement issue. Right. Uh, and, and going to complaints where someone may be experiencing a mental health crisis, uh, if they're not in immediate danger to themselves of someone else, mm-hmm. There needs to be another resource within please, government please. that's capable of a rapid response, knowing that we are certainly close by should things go extremely south. Mm-hmm. OK, so I think it's it's it's, it's rethinking uh, what it is we want our officers to do because we can't train them to beat everything to everybody. Right. 
Uh, but we have to get back to what police was designed for, and that is prevention, and to build relationships in our communities. But we have them responding to an excessive number of calls, oftentimes that should be going to other places by trained individuals. And in no way is that an indictment that police is doing anything wrong. It just means you can't be everything to everybody. And because we're the most successful form of government that uh, we've created a, a culture that's almost addicted to 911. You know, if you have a problem, the only solution is to call 911 and, and some poor police right. officer that's not capable or has the that's time right. or skill set to solve that problem, whatever it is. I love your barking dog because I use a, a death notify all the time. You know, we, we go to these death notifies. So someone's killed out of state in a motor vehicle accident and their police department calls our police department. We go knock on the door and make this death notify. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we the most appropriate person as we know the stages of, of that are going to occur here when you notify someone of death, you know, the, the, the anger, right. the denial? Are we really the best suited organization in our community to make that death notify, right? And so That's right. I love your barking That's- dog complaint too. I mean, we, we need to right. reimagine how we do this job we need to reimagine and that's not a bad thing and police have to begin to understand that when people are talking reimagining policing when they're talking transforming policing it is not a negative thing you got to think about how it can benefit you and help you in your job to get back to doing the things that uh, policing was designed to do it is not to give you more work it is to give you less work but work that is more laser focused to a mission around prevention and around developing relationships and communities in which they serve. But also have to add too, uh, Sheriff, we also got to do a better job in our selection process. Mm -hmm. We got to go beyond just uh, a background check that tells us how well they, their driving record or credit history or three or four references of people who we always going to (laughs) give to to say great things about us, et cetera, et cetera. And we do this kind of very cursory uh, psychological testing that really doesn't go that in depth. uh, But it does, but it may give us some indicators of problems in the future. I think we have to do a much better job in our background. Who is this individual comfortable are they with differences, mm-hmm. whether they grew up in Webster or whether they grew up on the west side of the city? Are they comfortable with differences? Do they respect humanity? Can they make decisions around uh, being humane without them telling me, well, you didn't train me? I can't train you to be humane. You learn that in your family of origin. Mm-hmm. You learn that in your church, your community, your right. foster home, wherever. Right. I cannot teach you those things. I can teach you how to run, shoot, fight. <laughs> do all those things but the humanness the compassion that you have towards people have to be something that is a learn you can't bring that to to the workplace because if you do then whatever those behaviors are are going to play themselves out and it's not going to be to the best interest oftentimes your department yeah and 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 you throw stress in the middle of that which exasperates everything right um you know, so if you have, if you don't have the traits that uh, of humility, if you don't have the traits of, of compassion and empathy, uh, and then you put power on top of it or a stressful environment, uh, it never helps. It only makes it worse. Right, uh, Doc. If, if you can give anything, so here's a counseling session for every cop listening, uh, if you will. Um, 
it's the world we're living in right now. The environment is the environment. The, our experience is our experience. What, you're talking to a recruit class or a, a platoon that's going getting ready to go on the road or the roll call. What advice would you give them today, you know, to, 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 to the troops out there ready to respond to the next 911 call? And, of course, we have no idea what that's going to be. What would, what would you say to those young guys out there you know, doing you, their job? You, well, you, you know, the question, you know, what I would give to them, Sheriff, would not be when they're getting ready to graduate. The message I would give them would be on the first day of their academy class. Are you, are you sure right. is this is what you want to do? Interesting. Because here's what comes with it. If you don't have these types of characteristics, traits, in which you have a sense of humanity, you have a sense of partnering with communities, you understand that there are differences in the world that may not align up with whatever it is that you were taught or not taught. But the moment that we become public servants, our job is to treat people, every individual, constitutionally. And if you can't find a North Star as to how to do that, then you look to the U.S. Constitution and you read it and you understand it, that fairness and liberty applies to everyone, everyone, not some people, everyone. If you can't find a North Star, find your U.S. Constitution and it'll tell you how we should treat people. But I think it's important and incumbent upon us that they hear very early on in the recruitment process and in the first day of academy class, mm -hmm. here's what you're embarking upon. You're going to be embarking upon a great deal of challenge, of stress, of criticism. You're not, this is not a perfect science. You will make mistakes along the way, but you have to be able to justify and articulate what those things, what decisions you made and why, particularly when it comes to taking a human life. Mm -hmm. And if we look at some of the issues that have confronted us in recent months, weeks, days, across this country, in your community there, and across this country, a lot of decisions are judgment decisions. And here's what I will also say. It is incumbent upon supervisors, those who are responsible for those young recruits, to set an example, to role model to them what you want them to do and be. On March 25th of last year, when we all saw the tragic death of George Floyd. It don't matter whether you like George Floyd or not. It don't matter whether you think he was a drug addict or not. At the end of the day, he was in our custody. And at the end of the day, he was under control. And at the end of the day, as a man begged for air, and you don't have the human capacity to let a person breathe when people on the sidewalk are begging you, and you have two junior officers. One officer, Sheriff, had only been on the job for days released from FTO right. four days who were right. down by the feet of George Floyd when he said officer Siobhan shouldn't we let him breathe and Siobhan said no he was Siobhan was 18 year veteran right the bigger question becomes for me he was a field training officer the bigger question becomes though how did someone with that type of character and disregard for human life exist inside that organization as long as he did in such an important part like field, field training officer that's a huge that's right position. it's just not about the recruits that we hire it's who we also have managed supervise them we have to role model behavior not tell people but role model it because there's something seriously systemically wrong in minneapolis police department 
and I say that publicly and I'll say it privately, there's something systemically wrong to sustain those types of attitudes and behaviors and it's allowed to go on for as long as it does. But we all got to look inside our organizations. We all got to ask ourselves tough questions. We all got to hold our supervisors responsible because for the young men and women that sit in that first day academy class, our tone, our body language, how we view and see the world, they're going to pick up on every nuance. Right, right. If we say one thing about a group of people, but yet our body language and inference and tenor and tone says something else, they're going to pick up on it. Sure. And the young millennial kids that are coming up today, they did not come up in my era or even your era, Sheriff. These kids have had more exposure to diversity, to difference than probably, well, I know certainly in my generation as a baby boomer. Right. So for them, when they come into an organization and they see the unevenness of treatment of people, and it doesn't matter whether they're black or white officers, male or female, gay or straight, it doesn't resonate with them. And, many, and you will oftentimes say, well, why don't we have as many people coming into policing as we used to? Well, police are being mistreated. That's why people don't want to be police. That is not scientifically true. People are not coming into policing for a variety of reasons. One, they have a lot of different options. Mm -hmm. And two, and one that never gets talked about, and your unions are certainly not going to tell you this, they don't want to be part of police departments where they see that police are mistreating people. These young kids don't want no part of that. They don't want any part of it. And we got to acknowledge that, too, because it's the examples that we set. It's the role modeling that we do that is going to help in our recruitment process, because young millennials and Generation Y kids that are coming up, they're smart, they're insightful, and they, they are well read. And they have a variety of different friends, even if they live mm -hmm. on the far side in the suburbs right. of Monroe County. Here's what they do have. They have the Internet. They got friends around the world right, right. that you and I <laughs> never thought about having. So differences to them are much different. It's a whole different paradigm. Yeah. I had growing up. And many of us it's a great had. thought. You know, Doc and I never even thought about that part of it as, as we're recruiting and we're thinking about people and, and our recruiting strategies. But uh, as you were talking, I'm like, people also want to be part of a winning team. So if you can hold your profession up to a higher standard, if you can hold your That's department right. up to a higher standard, who doesn't want to be part of that winning team, right? Uh, That's right. As a, as a good recruitment tool. But we have to role model the behavior. Amen. Yep. We have to role model that behavior. When you stand there as a sergeant in roll call or a lieutenant or a sheriff or a chief of police in your roll calls, even in your command staff meetings, mm -hmm. it's my attitude, my inference, my tone. Says if way I more gesture than words, in any absolutely. kind of way towards a certain group of people right. where my bias comes out or come into play, my people are going to pick up on it. I love it. Absolutely. Some may be offended by it and other may resonate with it because they just want to get along to go along. But they'll know it. Right. They'll read you. Absolutely. That's right. Or it reinforces some of their own biases mm -hmm. that's coming from the top. Leadership today is in a much more critical place than it ever has been in the history of policing. We can send guys to bias training. We can send them to to uh, de-escalation training. We can send them to this three-week course and being a supervisor. Right. Okay. Right. But what you got to build into your system is 
you got to be able to evaluate them in what they have learned in their training. So if you send me the de-escalation training, my boss needs to show up every now and then to my calls of service to see how I'm managing and if I'm employing the tools in right. which I was taught. We want to be able to take that video, that body camera video, right? And be able sometime to come back and say, hey, Cedric, here's what you did great on that call. Mm -hmm. So you reinforce what they've right, learned. Right. Or here's what you could have done a little better that might have helped you de-escalate, which will build, help build their confidence and also for them to recognize this is not a check your box class. Right. And that's what we do too much of right now is we send our folks to training, but all they do is check the box. Yeah, and three years later, well, I sent them to training. They should, they right. should be all set. <laughs> and they're all perishable they skills, all right? Right. Right. And it is our responsibility, particularly those of us that are leaders. And if you can't lead, you really need to leave. Right. You need to get out of the way and leave. Period. Leave. Because the communities across this country, and I don't care what communities they are, they're asking for a higher standard. They're asking for accountability. They're asking for transparency. And they're asking that people be treated constitutionally. Absolutely. And I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, the right or the left or somewhere in between. We're in a very unique place in American policing where we can set a new standard and create a new beginning. Because the history of policing in this country is not the greatest. And we got to be willing to acknowledge that as well. But acknowledge it and then move on. Well, people listening now know why I call this guy at 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes and say, hey, I got a question. And... Uh and you always get good wisdom, you get good guidance, you get different points of view. Doc, if we share anything, I hate to waste this opportunity not to talk to the officers. And, you know, this job will eat you up, right? It's a job that you go to negative call after negative call. You start out as this pure, wholesome person, hopefully, and then, but the the vicarious trauma and stuff like that builds up. What's your thought process on uh, on the troops and, and supervisors like me, a sheriff, taking care of the troops and taking care of their mental status and taking care of their families? Because it goes all, like, goes all the way back to the dinner table sometimes. That, that trauma you had at work in over 20 years that could build up any thoughts on how we take care of ourselves, and then we're better able to take care of the community that calls us well you know one thing we have to keep in mind inside your organization and a lot of other organizations Todd you have generational differences right you probably got a few baby boomers running around probably not many but a few you probably got a number of generation actors that are still there and you probably have a host of new young millennials and maybe even wide generation kids that are coming up right if you notice that you manage all of them differently sometimes and you got to be conscious of, of, of differences in my generation, if if the sheriff told me, hey, Alexander, I want you to go stand out on the corner of Main Street. We don't ask no questions. No, see we you just later. go stand on right, Main right, Street until right, somebody right. tell you to come in. <laughs> well, kid today. Well, hey, uh, <laughs> Mary, I need you to go stand out on Main Street. Why I got to do that? Right. Right. Now, she's not being defiant. No. What she is being is how she was raised to be. Ask questions if you don't understand. Clarify. That's how we taught our children to be, right? Right, Ask right. questions. In our generation, your job was to shut up, not say anything. Right. Kids today are encouraged to have a voice, to say when something is wrong, mm -hmm. or they're feeling a certain kind of type of way. I remember when I was chief in the cab, and I went by an academy class, and the air conditioner was broke that particular day, and uh, was down that particular day in this particular building in training. And one of the recruit kids stood up, a young millennial kid, he said, Chief, why ain't the air conditioner working? As if, what's wrong with you all that we don't have air conditioner? <laughs> I would, could have never imagined fixing my mouth to say that. Right. Right? right. But the difference is that doesn't make him a bad kid. It mm -hmm. makes him a kid that's of his generation. Right. And you have to respond. 
Well, here's what's happening. Okay, thanks, Chief. Here's why I need you to stand on the corner. Okay, I got it. Right? Yeah, the why. But but you may send another generation to do something. Okay, they salute you. They're going. But and here's why I preface that before I answer your question. Young kids that are coming on today, many of them, and I'm not making a blanket statement, but many of them, they're much more health conscious because they were raised in a generation that way. They eat better. They exercise. And here's something you probably have noticed, and particularly we notice a lot in many parts of the country, is that at the end of their shift, they're not interested in working overtime. Right. They're not interested in extra duty. They value their time off. Yes, sir with their friends, with their families or whatever they do. When I was a young kid coming up, if there was 24 hours in the day, I'd work all 24. Absolutely right. But kids today, and that is a good thing, by the way. Yeah. Is yeah. that they know how to cut off. They know how to balance life and they work and play. It. Exactly. They eat better. They exercise better. Many of them. They're much more health conscious. That's their generation. They're much more technologically in tune to technology they grasp it faster and there's benefit to be able to utilize the technology to help us keep communities safe we have to reinforce to all of our people inside our organizations to take care of yourselves mentally we have to make sure that we educate them and don't use uh ptsd as an excuse Mm -hmm. try to avoid ptsd by doing some things very fundamental take care of yourself but here's the thing you're in a you're in a job that you're going to see things that the average person do not see and experience. You're going to witness horrific automobile accidents. You're going to witness innocent people being hurt and maimed. You're going to maybe even see a partner injured or killed. Don't nobody risk the trauma that you're going to be exposed to outside of the military more than policing. But you have to be able to take care of yourself. To have rapid response counselors ready when officer exposed to a traumatic event, even if they don't think they need it. Right. We have to give them adequate time off. We have to give them things that are tools that help them manage through this. And is it important for us for them to also know they are in a work environment that support mental health? It is not a weakness. It is actually an incredible strength. Hmm. In a show of courage, we build that into the fabric of our organization. We build it by having signage around our roll calls, our precinct stations of numbers that people can call in confidence or or whatever the case may happen to be. We implore, we support mental, good mental health. And we have things around our station that show people where they can get discounts on at gyms or et cetera and right. good eating habits and those kinds of things. Right. Take care of them. But a lot of the young people who are coming on today, many of them are a lot more conscious of their health because that's how they have been raised by their parents and their generation. And I think we have some opportunities here to even make them better police officers to make their careers much more healthier because cumulatively over time, as in any uh, high speed or high risk profession, there's always that point or that experience that you could have that could take you over the end. Mm -hmm. And, but that's not the only aspect you're dealing with. You're also dealing with individuals. We all are wired differently. Some of us are already pre-wired for depression and anxiety. So all it does is take a number of events or maybe one events to flip that, to flip that switch mm-hmm. for others 
we can go into combat every day. You don't do and, that in policing, and but there are those who can go into combat every day. And be able to process that, right? And are able to process it differently because we all are very different. Right. And we have to acknowledge that. But there are no, no heroes that stand by themselves when it comes to emotional and psychological trauma. Amen. We all need help and we all need we support. Do, right. And, and when you have someone like Dr. Alexander and, and, and the sheriff's admitting right here, we all need help. We're all humans. We're all wired different. And it's not That's a sign right. of weakness. That's it, right. It's a sign of bravery <laughs> to take care of yourself because you're taking care of your family and you're taking care of your brother and sister to your left and right that you're That's working right. with. Right? And you can have a long, healthy career. So at the end of your career, right. should you decide to stay 20 or 30 years, you come out healthy on the other end. Amen. Much and, healthier. Much healthier. And enjoy that retirement. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Retirement. Well, Doc, it's hard to believe uh, 30 minutes already. That's the the norm for our podcast. And, uh, you know, I had about 10 more questions I want to hit with you. But once you start rolling, I never can stop you because I, I'm <laughs> writing notes when you're talking. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So we so appreciate it. I hope people here that are listening to this podcast behind the badge appreciate the expertise, appreciate the sincerity of the man who just got done talking and, and sharing his wisdom. And uh, you are a blessing to me. Hopefully you're a blessing to everybody who's listening to this podcast, Doc. And we'll talk real soon, okay? All right. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.